0: Hey Forge family, in podcast number four on the book of Zechariah, we were in chapter two and we were introduced to another of Zechariah's visions. This one is an extension of chapter one, verse 16, where a man is seen as he goes to stretch a measuring line over Jerusalem. Quickly in the text, the angel of the Lord speaks of a huge re-inhabiting of Jerusalem so that in so that it overflows its boundaries. This Malach Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, is the pre incarnate Christ who declares that he will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem and he himself will be the glory in the midst of that city. Then this angel of the Lord cries out to Judah to flee, to escape from the bondage in Babylon. As God's judgment on that land is coming, the Lord of hosts enters the vision, speaking that the nations that plunder Judah, that touched Judah, had also touched the pupil of his eye, and now judgment was coming. The Lord claimed Judah as his portion, his inheritance in the land. Now, there were at least eight yet unfulfilled prophecies listed in chapter 2, and their weight called for all mankind to be silent before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. All right, let's pray. God of armies, Lord of hosts, you laid out your plan for Judah and Jerusalem. That was before they repented, before they turned back to you. Likewise, you lay out destiny for us before we turn to you, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, we would walk in your ways, expecting your very life written within us to flow to those in need, to those with hard hearts and evil ways, to those who are lost and seeking your peace and forgiveness. Thank you, that you walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, gather before the word. Get ready to be stretched by the Lord's love and mercy for you. In chapter 3, as it begins, a fourth vision is shown to Zechariah. And there before him is is one of Joshua, the high priest. No interpretation is offered to him. And Zechariah acts as an active participant in the vision. It appears that the Lord himself made this vision come to pass before Zechariah. He saw Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, with Satan standing at the right side of Joshua. It appears to be a heavenly court scene. Now, the Hebrew translation of Satan is accuser and adversary. His placement on Joshua's right side is the traditional standing place for one who is accusing another in court or before the elders. Joshua, the high priest, is also known as Jeshua. In Ezra and in Nehemiah, his name means Yahweh saves. Do we know anyone else whose name means God saves? See, that's that's the name of Jesus. Okay, so Joshua was uh, like was likely born and raised in Babylon, and returned with the fifty thousand members of the remnant who came from Babylon back to Judah. At the decree of Cyrus, Zerubbabel was in charge of the temple building project and Joshua was a high priest who began offering sacrifices on the rebuilt altar in Jerusalem. Here in chapter 3, Satan stands up to accuse Joshua and the angel of the Lord does not allow him to speak. The angel rebukes Satan twice. It's a double rebuke. Literally, it says, quote, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And then, the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Even the pre-incarnate Christ, the angel of the Lord, refers to Yahweh as the one who rebukes Satan. So the Hebrew word for rebuke is ga'er, and it is a potent shutdown. It is a silencer. And later in the intertestamental era of Jewish history, it became part of a curse formula. I mean, it was so effective that it got borrowed so that men, men could slam each other with that. It's not what God had in mind, but that's what happened. <clears throat> in verse 2, the Lord ends with, Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Well, yes, Joshua had returned out of the furnace of exile in Babylon, and so had 50,000 others of Judah, which he represents. They were back in the land, but they're singed and smoking ruins. Verse 3 images Joshua robed in filthy priestly garments. The Hebrew for filth is tzitzim, And it's used only twice in that form in the Old Testament. It means totally defiled. Smeared with human excrement. In that vile state, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord representing the nation of Judah. Then the angel spoke, directing a cadre of angels to strip off the defiled garments. Again, The angel of the Lord says, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Iniquity in Hebrew is the word avon. It means blame, guilt, immorality, wickedness, evil, sin, obscenity, and ungodliness. And in this one act, The angel of the Lord has taken all iniquity off of Joshua. And in the same way he represents that he's done the same. All iniquity off of Judah. He then commands the angels present to clothe Joshua in radiant celebration robes. Forge family, that's what happens to us when our sin and iniquity and filth are swept away by grace through faith, we're robed with righteousness. Radiant celebration robes. Verse 5 has Zechariah jumping in. He, he, he steps into the vision, and he interacts with it. And he says, let them put a clean miter or turban on Joshua's head. The turban And rich robes are put on as the angel of the Lord watches. They are a symbol of the purity and beauty of righteousness. Just as Joshua bore the entirety of the iniquity of the people, now he carries the forgiveness and restoration that the Lord will impart to Judah. In Exodus 19.6, the Lord states, quote, You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. As Joshua is robed with righteousness, here is a short-term fulfillment of the prophecy of Exodus 19. A partial reconsecration of Israel in the role as a kingdom of priests. And to put a period of emphasis on the end of verse 5, Now note that these proceedings were of such importance to Yahweh that the angel of the Lord was positioned to stand and watch. In verse 6, as it appears in Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 31, in Haggai chapter 2 and Isaiah 44, the same phrase is used by prophets, to let the people know that the Lord has something momentous to say to them. Here also it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord, Yahweh, was up in Joshua's face. The term says, He admonished Joshua, which is to warn or to reprimand. Joshua, the Lord of hosts, says, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then the Lord promised to outpour three vast ascending promises. So Joshua's first priority is righteousness. And second, to fully accomplish all the duties of the high priest before the Lord. Now if those are established in the life of Joshua, then the promises will begin to flow. First, Joshua will will come um, to have entire governance over the temple, the house of God. Second, he will have full charge over all activity and worship preparation in the outer courts. And lastly, the Lord of hosts promised He will have free access among those who are standing here. So, who was standing before the Lord? Joshua and the angel of the Lord? It was a cadre, a band of angels. The Lord was promising Joshua access to the heavenly courts, to the third heaven. This passage notes a big step up in priestly leadership in the Old Testament. Ultimately, Joshua's priestly position points to Christ, who is the mediator and the intercessor for us. Let's let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 as a summary of that. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace grace to help in time of need. In verse 8, chapter 3 of Zechariah, the Lord of hosts, followed by the angel of the Lord, commands Joshua to listen. The verbal form of this word is seen in Deuteronomy 6, where it says, hear, O Israel. Remember the Shema? Hear, O Lord. Hear, O Israel. Excuse me. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. And likewise, that command to listen is given to those priests, his friends, sitting in front of Joshua. Then the angel of the Lord turns to those other priests, saying of them that indeed they are men who are a symbol. Hebrew word for symbol is mopheth, a sign, a wonder, a marvel. Similar scenes are to be found in Ezekiel, who is gathered with the Lord's servants, chapter 8, 14, 20, and 33. These priests will be a sign that momentous change is coming. And by their very lives, they will be a sign, a wonder, and a marvel. It is immediately after this Sign, wonder, and marvel, mantle that is laid on the priests that the Lord says, Behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. Literally, the sprout. Branch is one of the most used messianic titles. Both Isaiah and Jeremiah wrote of the Davidic branch, the sprout out of the stump, seemingly dead stump, of David's monarchy and descendants speaks of renewal, life, and vitality with hope. And all that culminates in Christ. Remember when we studied the servant psalms in Isaiah together? There, Yahweh speaks of his servant, the Ived Yahweh, the servant of the Lord, the Messiah. Zechariah envisions a single descendant, who would display and execute justice and righteousness in Judah. Verse 9 begins with, For behold, now we've gone from listen to look, behold the stone that I have set before Joshua, one stone with seven eyes. This statement by the Lord has set the fox amongst the chickens. Okay, the, the chickens being Bible scholars, they have posited many interpretations of that stone with seven eyes. It could be a capstone in a building, a jewel in a priest's breastplate, building materials for the temple, a metaphor of the temple itself, a rock in the Holy of Holies, an altar, the holy mountain, the Messiah, the kingdom of God, and the nation of Israel. That's just a, That's just a few. It's a handful of those. Posited interpretations. And each one of them, each one of those interpretations has some merit, but none of them fit the context. The stone remains without interpretation to this day. The second sentence in verse 9 speaks of speaks, uh, of the Lord of hosts engraving an inscription on the stone. Where else did he do that? he wrote on tablets of stone to give those tablets to Moses of these are the commands to Israel. The Ten Commandments, if you will. So this is the second, if you will, inscription on stone. And he follows that with, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So yes, the sacrificial lamb of God, crucified to take away sin, that is a momentous day in history, but the text speaks of the land, the land of Judah, and, and those living on it, and a coming day of being washed clean of all sin. First ten. First uh, ten continues. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, looking into time as we know it, and not as he does. Okay, that day. Would be thousands of years in the future when God's people would experience ultimate joy and satisfaction that they had longed for through the ages. Now, many evangelical scholars look at the second coming of Christ as that day in which all Israel will believe in Messiah, Jesus. Hmm, perhaps. Keep watching. Keep watching, family we may soon see this prophecy and promise come to pass. All right, Forge family, Zechariah, the young prophet, is confronting us with how the Lord set in place the branch, the servant, and the rock, all opening doors to cleansing, forgiveness, and salvation in Christ Jesus. God was at work in 520 B.C. At work on Calvary's mount... In 33 A.D. And he is at work now. He does not see time as linear. But rather, I believe, he sees time as a tight spiral. Like a slinky toy. That goes forward, but is ever going round. Past memorial stones, prophecies, promises, seeming failures, and more. Yet, so that we get more expanded revelation. And we still have to choose righteousness and obedience, as did our forefathers and, fo- and mothers of the faith. We get a measure of that promised joy and satisfaction now, by grace through faith. Jesus is enough and more. Let's pray, family. Lord of hosts, you planned our encounter with Jesus by Holy Spirit from ages past. You grafted us into the line of Abraham, and you made some of his promises ours. We would be a nation of priests in the kingdom of God, those that stand before the people and introduce them to the king. Lead them to repent and school them in your ways that they too might be part of the nation of priests ministering before the Lord God, ministering before you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, Forge family, we love you. God bless. See you soon.